we embraced all the constraints. And so um, every time we had a budget problem, every time we had a challenge, whether it was there's no fuel, there's hyperinflation, uh, we would sit with our team and go, man, this this is not cool, but what can we do in the midst of this? What could we create because of this? This is Supernatural Business in Times of Crisis, the podcast. I'm Andrew Montesi, and I created this show to help empower and equip you to take on the impossible in business. This isn't your average business podcast. In the midst of a global crisis, I interview powerful leaders who will take you deeper, revealing how to operate in business from your position of power in God's kingdom, in faith instead of fear, helping you advance in adversity. There's Supernatural Breakthrough available for your business and your life today. Hey, thanks for joining me. Now, if anyone knows how to create and thrive in adversity, it's Tommy Deschel. Tommy is from Zimbabwe, a failed state that is broken in just about every way. And yet, he has found a way to build businesses, produce influential media, and unite hundreds of churches across his country. Recognized as one of the most influential young people in Zimbabwe, Tommy is an entrepreneur, creator, and pastor. He's the founder of C Media Africa, co-founder of Emerging Ideas, a leader at Celebrate Ministries Zimbabwe, and that's really just the beginning. In this inspiring conversation, Tommy talks about what he's learned from building with God within a broken system, creativity and culture in crisis, leadership and what the future looks like for the next generation, and much more. This is an anointed guy who is full of energy and power who loves to bring people along on the journey. So get involved and enjoy the interview with Tommy Deschel. All right, Tommy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Monty. Appreciate the, the time. Now, mate, kick us off by telling us, what does your life look like at the moment? Yeah, no good. So my life looks like juggling two different worlds. So living in California and then having work in ministry in Zimbabwe, Africa. Uh, I'm navigating how to juggle two worlds, different teams, um, all whilst trying to keep my wife loving me and navigating four kids that I have. So it's, it's, a, it's a wild ride. That's incredible. What does that look like day to day? Oh, man. Well, uh, and, and because of the lockdown and the recent kind of series of events, um, just a lot of FaceTime with the kids and then navigating schedule. Um, I think now I'm really focused on doing things that have a long-lasting impact. And so it's not about hustle. It's not about just getting by. It's not about making the month work. It's about saying, okay, cool. Who am I building with for the next five years? Who am I going to be building with for the next 10 years? And focusing on those things that have a long, kind of a long-term impact with the children's. Um, so I, I, so day to day, it's really saying no to so many distractions and saying yes to those things that create impact. And I'm finding more and more just where can I bring connection as opposed to just pushing out content mm. or just pushing out hustle. Um, I feel like I'm coming back to where's the connection point. So with my kids, it's with my family, and it's with people that I want to build with for the future. So I don't know if that really paints a picture. I drink coffee every morning too, which is part of my day. <laughs> no, mate, that's <laughs> awesome. It's it, You know what? It's really interesting because at the moment, most people can't even focus on what's beyond today, let alone what you're talking about five years time. So, yeah. So how, how do you 
have such a big picture um, when the circumstances are just absolutely all over the place in the moment? Bro, just like your your view of hope and where hope is in your situation, because um, I, I, hope is hope is always something that maybe feels far off, but it's actually so close. And so I wake up like everyone, uh, well, maybe not everyone, but I wake up with, you know, kind of the doldrums of, is this day even going to be worth it? Um, I don't want to get out of bed. I hate working out. Um, you know, I feel like everyone's already got stuff going on. And you fight that with the element of, I know that if I, if I get back up and I, and I have hope in my day and I think about the future and I think about the impact that's already happened through the work of my hands, then I go, all right, we can do this one more time. Let's pick up the bat. Let's pick up the cricket bat. Let's crack at this ball one more time. And I think every single day I've got to recast vision for myself. Otherwise, the, the, the doldrums and the drag today of depression and anxiety can totally just overwhelm you. So I'd say it's a daily thing once, uh, not something that, uh, that, uh, that's just natural. Yeah, it's a really good call. I mean, one thing that you've got that most others don't is you're well and truly experienced in building in a high-pressure environment in Zimbabwe. Can you give us some context for what that has been like as you've grown up and and built things um, in that type of environment? Yeah, man. I, I think uh, a lot of, and I love your question on this because growing up in Zimbabwe, and, and if you don't know much about Zimbabwe, uh, if you're listening, it's it's been declared a failed state by the United Nations, by uh, all the major news publications and humanitarian organizations. And and I think one thing it did for us was in building a company there and doing ministry there and work was we embraced all the constraints. And so um, every time we had a budget problem every time we had a challenge, whether it was there's no fuel, there's hyperinflation, uh, we would sit with our team and go, man, this this is not cool, but what can we do in the midst of this? What could we create because of this? And I think, so it was always looking at uh, what would what could the good be in the mess? So for example, um, we, and we also didn't really know what we didn't know. And I think today, I heard a quote the other day that said, you know, we could have loved more if we knew less. Mm. And I think that goes for the same of innovation. Sometimes we could innovate more if we knew less. And so we, for example, we, we put together, um, I, I was doing work with entrepreneurs, and this is just a story that gives a kind of a picture. And we had, uh, people weren't really talking about um, collaboration. They, they, they were really kind of beaten down by the general news story, which was, we failed, there is no jobs, there's 90% unemployment, um, we don't have hope for tomorrow. And so we got people together and said, let's change the story and let's start discussing ideas of how we can progress as a nation. So we got 200 people in a room, this kicked off what was called Pitch Nights, and everyone started to connect and collaborate, and the story started to change, and all we had was a room a few cups of free coffee, and a sound system. And that started to change a conversation where people would collaborate. From that point, we got offered um, 
50,000 US dollars to create a TV show. Now, we didn't know what a TV show would, would cost to make, so we just said yes, and we did 13 episodes on a $50,000 budget, which is, if you know, if you know what that is, man, like, that's impossible. Yeah. And so, so we didn't know that you couldn't create a world class TV show with $50,000. So guess what? We did it. Yeah. And I think, I think for us, what was, what we discovered was instead of looking at all the problems, let's look at all the possibilities in the pain. And if we didn't do that, I don't think we would have been able to progress. So I think even in this season where the world's at, you know, I'm going with my team and people like you, Monty, going, okay, wait, what could the possibility be in this pain? And I think that's what really sort of uh, kept us going. Um, because every day you were faced with the worst news possible uh, when it came to government, policy, um, economy. And you, you, if, you, if, you, if you focused on that, man, you'd just be a spinning orangutan. Yeah, that's so good, mate. And what I'm also interested in is how, how does God move? How does God operate in that pressure environment as well? Yeah, I think it's, I'll, I'll say this, it causes you to, to get on your knees and grab someone by the hand and say, I'm with you, even though times are tough, yeah. because you don't have the luxury of just being self-focused. And so what it does when hope is pressed and when, when people are persecuted, I mean, if you look, if you look throughout history, right? Whenever there was hard times, there's, there, there, it was like the setup of a revolution or the setup of some sort of freedom that would come from that. And so, so, so for us, what it did was brought a lot of people together that wouldn't normally be together. And, and I think it created a, a, a breeding ground for, um, for collaboration in a way that we hadn't seen in a long time. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. Uh, so, I, so, so just the pressure I think brought people together that, um, and still doing that, that wouldn't normally come together. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, that's a really good answer, but probably what I'm, what I'm also keen to understand is how does, how does God move in that type of environment? Um, perhaps mm -hmm. differently to what it would in America and Australia where, where typically mm -hmm. we've, we've had it pretty good. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that's the whole story of God saying I'm near to the brokenhearted. And, and that's throughout scripture, Jesus saying, I'm coming to the sick. I'm coming to the places that need me. And, and so what I've discovered being in, in California, the, the short time that I've been here is, bro, there's a, there's a solution for everything down the corner, man. And if yeah. there is a, if there is a sickness or there is a, a challenge, it's like, well, let's just go figure out and sort it out. Um, and let's go buy medication. And so, when what well, it's just a where we grew up it was a every day was a miracle so you are confronted with someone who has say a gaping wound or um there, there was a time where I, I i was interacting with this girl who just got hit by a car and there is no opportunity to go take her down to the hospital and pay out your pocket for her to get well there's just none of that and so literally you have to engage your faith. It's like it forces you to go, we either see a miracle here or we might lose someone. We have to see a miracle here or this person's going to 
you know, pass on, which, which, which could be easily fixed in a place like the state. So I, I saw a lot of, um, a lot of people that just had to rely on faith in God and not just an idea of what religion is. And then falling to Walgreens or to, you know, the pharmacy shop down the street. Yeah. It's incredible. Cause you know, at this time it's obviously tough and, um, but just the, the commentary we see where people are, you know, are forced to stay home for a period and it's, and it's like their whole worlds are caving in. And then, <laughs> and then, you know, you must almost chuckle to yourself when, when you reflect on, on, on what, what you've been exposed to throughout your whole life. It's incredible. Yeah. Well, it's, it's actually felt like home, Monty. Like I, I, I talk, talk to Rach and I'm like, babe, this feels like we're back in Africa, except we just don't have any, um, you know, guys with AK-47s outside or tanks, army tanks. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. So when, when circumstances are out of control, how do you recommend that people approach it, particularly in business who we're talking to today? How, mm-hmm. how should they position themselves to approach it and, you know, particularly in partnership with the Holy Spirit? Yeah, that's good. This is where I think the crux of the matter is, Monty, is do we believe that God can work everything for the good of those that love him? Can he do that or can't he? I think that I think you're faced with a situation that every person has to answer. Can God get us out of this and can he win in this? And so so for me, like uh, when so my, when my dad first moved to Africa, there was a lot of witch doctors that he encountered, and we actually had a witch doctor come to our church, and like in the service, he gets saved, and he puts all of his like, you know, medicine and tools on, on the altar, and it's like, okay, cool, like I'm, um, I'm actually, I'm actually full on, full on having an encounter with Jesus, and I'm done, and so after a while, like it was weird, because people were like, how, how does this happen, and, um, and, and, my dad approached this former witch doctor and said, tell me, how is it that you can curse people? Because we've seen Christians that are cursed. We've seen people who claim to believe in Jesus that are cursed by witch doctors. Tell me how you do it. You know what the guy said? He said, listen, we can, we can actually curse anyone. Um, and as long as we get them in a state of fear or anger, Wow. We prefer fear because if we can get them into a state of fear, then we can curse them. And if we can get them in a state of anger, then we can also curse them, but we prefer fear. And so it's incredible because it, it, we literally have to fight out fear with love and with hope. And the Bible says you don't have a spirit of fear. And I think it's it's a spirit that can attach itself. And so um, but we have a spirit of love, joy, and a sound mind. And so there's love, there's joy, and there's sound mind. And I think in this season, um, what I would recommend is three things. Number one is continuing to uh, apply a sound mind to what you're doing. So whatever that might be, the moment your emotions are high with fear and anger is the moment that you start fumbling. And so sound mind, what is it that I believe? How am I going into this? Number two always speak hope in the room because there's always hope is always irrelevant Monty no matter where you are um, hope is always relevant and it actually changes the atmosphere in a room and so when your employees or your teammates 
still see hope in a leader. Uh, it's amazing what that does to their work ethic and, and their conversations. Uh, and number three would be just keep your conversations alive. Um, the, one of the things that we had when we, we, we were put, our company was given a bill of uh, like 30,000 US dollars that we didn't have to pay the government or they were going to come and loot our entire production studio. So they were going to take cameras and TVs and all of our equipment. And I remember like at that time, all I wanted to do was to take my socks off, take my jeans off, find a little hole somewhere and, you know, get a milkshake and just like sit there. And I, I was like, no, like you can't do it. So we got together with our team and said, listen, guys, there's crap happening everywhere. So let us guard our conversation. And we came to Ephesians 3.15, I think. I think it's Ephesians 3.15, where it says that only allow graceful words to come out of your mouth. No corrupt word should come out of, should come out of your mouth. And so we just said, God's moving in the midst of this. Let us not corrupt what he's doing by speaking negatively. And it wasn't an ignoring of the mess. It was a, you know what? This is a crap situation, but we think it's going to be good for us based on the word. We know this is challenging right now, but we know there's going to be something on the other end that's beautiful because he says that he takes the broken and he makes it whole. He takes the ash and he turns it beautiful. So we literally had to live out the scripture every day, not according to what we saw in the news, but according to the truth, which is the word. It's so powerful, mate. I mean, I think everything you've said there over the last few minutes is just absolute gold. But I think um, that story about the witch doctor is is incredible and should open up eyes of our listeners, who particularly mm-hmm. those who don't understand the spiritual realities of of what we're partnering with when we when we accept what we think is is just a feeling. You know, oh yeah, it's, yeah, you know, just, just a little bit worried or just a little bit angry, but, but actually what it can open up in your life is, is extremely powerful. Yeah. No, that's, that's exactly right, man. Um, and, and, and like you said, it's, it's, it's intentional. It doesn't just happen. Hmm. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. So thanks for sharing that story. That's, that's really powerful. Um, just given your circumstances and story as well, um, really keen to just unpack creativity with you, particularly in a time of pressure or crisis where uh, creativity can be suppressed. So how do we how do we find it even when the world feels like it's closing in and we just want to worry about circumstances? How do we still create? Yeah, that's. That's, I think, a, a gift from God is how do we create in the mess? So uh, I'll give you an example. I was supposed to be on a plane to South Africa 10 days ago. And we were scheduled to create a music video in the dust of Africa. Um, and, you know, kind of in that setting sun, if you've ever been there, it's probably like Australia. But it, it's it's just gorgeous. And um, we had this whole shoot, you know, kind of planned. and. Uh, and obviously the, the flights got cancelled. And so no matter what happens, we couldn't, we couldn't go shoot this music video. And so we were like, okay, how do we embrace the constraints? How do we, how do we do something even in spite of the mess? 
and I think it was Voltaire, those old one of the oldest philosophers um, that I know. I mean, I, I'm, if I give you a date, I'm going to lie, but he's 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 been around. Yeah. <laughs> um, he said, he said, no problem can withstand the assault of sustained thinking. Yeah, and. And so often, I think we, we, we can see the problem and just sort of fold our hands, you know, sit down, and, uh, and that's it. So we got on a call with my band, um, the guys we create music with, and I said, okay, well, guys, what if we do a Zoom music video and invite people from all over the world to sing along and actually have these stories inserted about home? And the whole song will be about, you know, being, being in a kingdom that has no boundaries. And so we've literally created this music video on Zoom that's going to go out this weekend. And so it's like, how do you take what's given to you? And it's that old proverb or that old sort of picture of turn lemons into lemonade. And I know it's dumb and I'm even bad. I'm sad for myself for saying it actually, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's like, how do you, how do you actually use that and go, okay, this is, this is a bummer situation. But what do we do with it? And what, what could the, what could the beauty of the situation be? So I think this is breeding ground for massive creativity. And, and, and especially if you're having the right conversations, Monty. If you're around people that are constantly talking about the mess, oh man, then, you know, we, we might as well just sort of close up shop today. But if you're around people like you, and and me and other guys who are saying, man, what could happen in this? This could be amazing. Then all of a sudden it's like, um, yeah. So I think creativity literally has a new breeding ground based on the mess. Yeah, that's yeah, so good. And I think um, I think you're absolutely right. And I'm even just I was only thinking the other day. I wonder what music albums, what pieces of art, like all of the beautiful things that are actually going to emerge from those anointed people in isolation who now have the time to go and come on do something wild you know it's yep. going to be unreal i think do i i totally agree with you man i mean look at you you're doing these podcasts which you i don't know if you would have done this if there hadn't been a lockdown no i wouldn't have so i i think you're a perfect testimony of the creativity you know, in the ashes. So good. I mean, how does your how does your creative process work with God? Because I know that God, you know, we when we understand God as creator and that that His intention is to release that through us, I love it when I hear um, God creative processes. So I'm wondering if you could just tell us how yours works. Yeah. No. First of all, I kiss my wife just because that sparks something in me. And then I grab a cup of coffee because then that sparks something else in me. And then, uh, no, I'm kidding. I think, I think the, 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 so for me, it's always been without, without me realizing it, I, I think, and, and I, it's always evolving. And you know, months like none of us are gurus at this because the creative process is always different. But generally speaking, um, Two things that really spark the way that I, uh, the way that I think about um, getting a creative message, because creativity is about getting a message out to help people feel the way they should feel. So it's like it's not just about creatively doing something, but how do we get a message out? So 
Um, two things that help me with my process. No, you can. No, no, thank you. Two things that help me with my process. Number one is when I have very limited time. So we play this game called the songwriting game, where each of us sit in a room and we give each other 90 seconds to write a whole song, and we give each other the title. Now, what comes out of that is unbelievable because you literally say, "There's a message to create. Create it in 90 seconds," and and it's a phenomenal what comes out. So I love I love it when there's constraints. I actually put constraints on myself um, because all of a sudden, it's like your mind moves in a different pace than if you were to have like five hours and 10 days or like 21 days to do something. Some of my best pitches to clients have been on the spot without me having rehearsed anything um, because I give myself five minutes to come up with an entire pitch. It's, I, and that's just weird. Second thing is um, <clears throat> what I always do in the creative process is, God, what is your story in this? How are you looking at this? If he is the author and perfecter of our faith, then what's he writing? And whenever we work with a company or, or, or a show or a music piece uh, or a ministry piece, there was always God's, what, what is your story in this? So I look at this from heaven's perspective instead of just mine. And, and then that begins kind of a journey of opening up. How do we tell this right? Who, who needs to hear this? Who needs to be part of this? And yeah, so those are the two ways that kind of provoke my creative process. Yeah, it's amazing. It's, you know, you made such a good point about time because I think so often we, and I do it myself, we feel like we have to stew on it. We've got an idea. Oh, yeah, let's stew on it. And I think that there is sometimes wisdom in that, but I think also that tends to open up like a, a way for us to question the Holy Spirit. And to actually question what we like a like a God given idea like that's been deposited, and we will sit there and we have a habit of fighting it. Uh, so I think that's yep. that's such such good advice. Um, yeah, no, you're so right on, man. I, I love what you said. Almost you stew on it too long, and then you start to question the Holy Spirit. That's so right. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I'm I'm really keen to put that to the test, and just I think if if we can. I think that's that startup, innovative, iterative approach of being able to do things efficiently and fast. Like we, we just become so paralyzed by, oh, you know, I've just got to wait a bit longer or maybe I've got to hear from God for another three times. It's, um, now that's good, mate. So I think, I think listeners out there should definitely take that on. I guess the other thing. That's good. Go on, mate. Sorry. No. and, And you know what, man? And we should do this just you and me yeah. is what I've found of is people are looking for an excuse. So, so because so many people are self-focused today, they are their own excuse, which is honestly sometimes not even enough. Um, so if you get around people that give you an excuse, so if I say Monty, bro, by next week, mate, like I want you to make five vlog videos with you in five different places, you know, talking about, how to work out better, how to eat better, and you need to post them on Facebook, otherwise I'm going to rock you. <laughs> you will like do it. And, and, and in the sense of if we agree, and you have an excuse, because if someone says, hey, that's a stupid video, you can say, well, uh, you know, I, 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 yeah, I, got this, I got together with this mate of mine, and he, he made me do it, and so we just had an agreement. 
it's almost like people need an excuse to do something that's imperfect. Yep. As opposed to if it's all about just you driving something, it's like we can put the brakes on so fast before it even gets started. You know, you've tapped into something really important there and that's, that's perfection. How do you see perfection as both like, like aspirationally a beautiful thing, but also as a, as a barrier? How do you see it? Oh, yeah, we probably see it similarly um, just from the small talks you've had. But for one, I think perfection, well, I would say instead of perfection, it's excellence. Excellence is doing the best that you can with the little you have. And that's it. Because I think if you start getting into comparison zone, um, and I found this for a while, is just our church in Zimbabwe. It's a, it's a mega church. And um, I I would often look at some of the other mega churches in the US who had, you know, a hundred times the budget and still compare like how our videos were coming out and how our messages were coming out. And so that just, that just takes you on a crazy world. So I would say doing the best that you can with what you have is perfection in your case. Um, and I think the challenge or the barrier is the fact that you compare yourself with someone else who has a completely different set of tools. And so you are you you are unique to your tools and your situation, and I think that's what's given me comfort. Um, yeah, and that I mean that's so good because I guess where I've where I've seen it as well is similar to you. I think one of the great benefits from a, a time like this that we're in is there's no time for that that negative side of perfectionism where we never do anything because it's never quite right or it's never quite as good as our competitor. So then like, you know, I've, I've got competitors, uh, competitors, I've got clients that were sitting on projects for two years that accelerated everything and released their projects within a week because of the urgency of this crisis. So it's, you know, that that's so good. It's so good. That's, that's the amazing thing that's coming out of this is that kind of obsessive perfectionism, which, which is, is false anyway, that all gets blown apart in, in these critical times. Oh, dude, I love that. I love that man. And, and then you sit back and you go, well, how can we couldn't have done this before? Um, so, exactly. Yeah. Now, Matt, I'm keen to talk to you a little bit about leadership. So, um, leadership in these, when in the midst of adversity, I mean, you've led a, a movement that has united the church in Zimbabwe, um, and you've t- already talked to that that environment. How how does God bring unity in crisis, and how do you how do you set yourself up to be a facilitator so that He can operate through you to be able to make that happen? Yeah, dude, I love this question, and this is a passion point for me because just one of my biggest philosophies on leadership is that a united team, you know, sets up a movement to win. And so whatever you're working on is a movement, right? And so if you have a united team, you're so much stronger than the company next to you that has a divided team. Um, and Jesus said this, a house divided against itself can't stand, which means united with itself is one of the awful things I think on the face of the earth in terms of the expressive church and so what gets in the way of that ego ego and pride and needing your name somewhere 
And so for me, what I, what I discovered in, in, and you're referring to the city movement that, um, that we did where we had 200 churches come together and really try and paint a collective, uh, a kind of a collective vision that people could get behind. So, um, so the other thing I would say is vision is when there's unity and there's a clear vision, um, there's two things people unite behind. They unite behind chaos because people love chaos and they can, they can unite. Oh, everything's going, you know, people are united on Corona. It's crazy. Or they unite behind vision towards something. And so if that vision is not, um, big enough for everyone to be part of, then it causes division. So what we is we, uh, we got a bunch of leaders together and said, Hey guys, let's stop talking about our vision for the church and let's talk about our vision for the city. Now all of a sudden, you see everyone's brilliance come out because everyone's got a different role to play in the city. And so you're not comparing church to church. You're comparing gift to gift. And so these leaders came out and were like, well, what if we saw this in our city? And everyone found this common place of we can rally behind a vision for a city. And so, so that was powerful. And then, and then at the, at the end of that, um, you know, we said, Hey, there was going to be no logos, no names. Uh, kind of no specific people that own this, but we're going to own it together. And that completely took away all the sting out of, well, who's going to get the credit? And I think in this day and age, one of the biggest things we have to face is, are we willing to do something together and not get the credit when it comes to leading teams and to pushing a vision forward? That's a huge question to ask. And it's so good, you know, because it's, like the church, it's the same in business. And I think what you've raised is some really tough and good questions like, well, what if, what if this is about more than my business surviving and, and just my business? What if this is, what if I'm being called to something bigger in this? What if I'm being called to a, to the city, to the state, to the country? Like, like what if it's bigger than me? And I think that's such a huge question to ask in these times. Yeah, and I, and I think we have to ask that now. Um, I think I think it's important that we ask it um, because the world is looking for answers. And so, if 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 the answers come from brokenness and everyone kind of you know being divided, that's not attractive to the world at all. So, I think we have an opportunity um, to do just that, man. And what did that look like? That that unity um, in Zim at the time. <laughs> Yeah, man. So, um, you know, and, and, and you know how it is with, with guys who, you know, you, and again, people who've done big stuff, Monty, you know, they want to make sure that their names, you know, that they are represented well and that they're introduced well and that they have a slot to speak and that they have a slot to share, which is all fine. Um, but I, but what we saw started to happen was because there was no specific, church logo or no ministry logo anywhere and there was no introduction there was united choir so we we basically had a six-month media campaign that was on radio on tv throughout churches throughout the city that talked about how we are one as a church and how we want jesus to be over the nation as king and we're not just relying on politicians and so it was incredible because Everyone had the conversation, what does a kingdom nation look like? 
because we want the kingdom here. And and so so picture media campaigns, lots of conversations, online dialogue, radio stations having the conversation, and culminating in uh, in in different prayer times in different parts of the city. And then we had one big night where the entire city and actually it was broadcast on radio nation came together to worship and pray together um where there was no introductions no logos um no no like it was just united and so the atmosphere was incredible because no one was comparing themselves with someone else it was wow we are literally here to see jesus lifted up and so we had eighteen thousand people um you know, in a in this open air stadium, and the testimonies were like, we feel so much love, we feel like we're one church, we feel like all the walls of division have come down, and so for me, that God can do something with that, and so that's that's what it looked like, and those friendships and relationships are still intact today, um, you know, especially with the younger leaders, and yeah, so that's that was a bit of a picture. That's huge, and I think. I think we can draw a lot from that um, in these times as well. And I guess um, t- continuing to talk about leadership and, and your passion for the next generation, what, is, what does the world look like for younger leaders? Because it feels like that the world is changing. And when we come out of this, what we're in right now, the world's going to look very different. What does it mean for a young leader? Yeah, man, you, you you're nailing these questions. Um, I, I think I think we're all on discovery path, to be honest. Um, because to say this is what it looks like, uh, I think there's still so many gaps that are being filled in right now. I do think it looks more like how do we serve each other than how do we build our own. I think that's what it looks like. Um, I do think it looks like the kingdom has to come with power, not just concept. And so in our businesses and in our ministries, God, we want to see your power move. And, and so show us that. Um, I also think it looks like, um, we, we will probably have to give things that we weren't given to the next generation. So some of the, some of our, our generation, you know, got handed, whether it was bad lots, whether it was, you know, kind of pain from the previous generation, whether it was confusion, um, whether it was kind of religion, you know, just kind of, kind of, you know, a lot of guys are already like, man, I don't know about religion. Lots of people have left the church. I think as revival happens, we're going to have to look at the, the younger guys and give them stuff that we weren't given. Um, just like Joshua and Caleb, right? They, they went through a bunch of mess with all their friends who wanted to stone them for believing in the promised land. And they were like, you know, you guys, you guys are the teacher's pets. You guys have a perspective that we hate. And it literally says in the Bible they wanted to stone them. So there was so much that was against Joshua and Caleb in, this, in, in the scriptures, right? The story of the scriptures. That it would be easy for Joshua and Caleb, um, when that generation had died off, to now go to the younger guys and say, listen, we had it hard. We're going to make it hard for you. Just like in school, right? The, that little guy that comes in you know, um, when he turns 12 or whatever and comes to high school and the guys who are senior can come and go, bro, I was made to do push-ups. I was made to drink water out of the toilet. I'm going to do that to you. 
I think what we're going to have to do is sidestep that and go, maybe we've seen a bunch of junk, but we can't give that to the next generation. How do we become fathers when we were under generals? How do we give grace when we were given rules? And I think I would say that's our role is to see, um, to see what we're doing to create a platform for the next generation to stand on. That's big, mate. That's big and so good. And I think you've absolutely nailed it there. I think, um, it's going to be challenging uh, for a lot of people in our generation, but I think it's, it's huge. I mean, we, we've talked about it when we've caught up, mate. I think, um, God is so on this next generation. I mean, he's on every generation, of course, but there's something about this next generation. And, uh, those of us that have gone before, we, we've got a big role to play to, to bring these guys through. So, Tommy, before we uh, get into my final set of weapons to equip listeners, I'm also just keen to to get your thoughts on how you see God transforming culture in this next season. Uh, I, I, I do think that we're going to have to really look at our way of doing things and what we've done in the past and not hold to it um, like we can't let it go. And so, 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 so just a story here and I'm sorry for my stories, but like I love them. the, one of the things which really started to challenge me about, about culture, um, was when you have, um, sorry, my, my daughter's here trying to no, go for it. No, she's, she's welcome. No, yeah. Yeah. No. So when you have a, um, a culture that doesn't say, let's just say that that's anti-kingdom, right? So if you had a, if you had a suspicious culture, that's anti-kingdom. And so at some point you have to lay that down and take a good look and go, how do we turn that suspicion into trust? And so, so I was with a group of guys in a city called Bulawayo. And again, rampant with unemployment, uh, lots of people trying to figure out how to survive and create business. And the main message was there is no investment when we, we can't have access to capital. And so I said, guys, is capital the biggest problem or is trust the biggest problem? And they were like, well, what do you mean capital? Of course it's capital. So I said, okay, let's just do an example here. How many of you in this room, there's probably about 100 to 200 people. How many people in this room would trust the person on their left with 10 bucks? Everyone put their hand up. And I was like, okay. How many of you would trust the person next to you with a hundred bucks? Half the room put their hand up. And I said, how many would trust the person next to you with a thousand bucks? But only a few people put their hands up. And I was like, okay, so is, is capital our problem or is trust our problem? Because if we can't trust each other, how do we invest in, uh, expect investors to trust us? And so, so I think in this season, man, it's like, where have we allowed things? Or where are there things in our life that is anti-kingdom culture? And how do we let those things go in order to pick up something different? And I'm looking at my own life. Where, where do I get controlling where I should actually have more clarity? Where do I get frustrated when I should have better planning? And so I just think it's, it's really going to be a season of everyone going, I want to pursue kingdom culture and let go of some of the things that has shaped me before. Yeah, that's absolute gold, mate. So good. Um, 
you know, I know that uh, the the fam need you, mate. So I'll um we'll we'll get into my final set of questions, which is um what I'm asking all of the guests: weapons to equip our listeners. What's your one daily habit that you'd recommend um, for us to get on the front foot every day? The for us to be on the front foot every day, I would say start off with just being thankful. Like if you can wake up every day and say, "Man, I." I feel like a ton of bricks have just been toppled onto me. Um, I don't feel like waking up. I, I, I've, I've got problems that are going to be my day. And you say, right, no matter what happens, I'm going to say thank you to three for three things in my life. And I will find those and I will speak them out loud. I gives us a vulnerable point. Um, because when you're thankful, it already puts you in a position of feeling like you have something. So... The moment you're thankful, you go, I've already been given something and I can do something with what I have. And so it puts you on, I think it puts you on a front foot. Yep, that's awesome. And what about a verse? Is there a verse of inspiration at the moment that's um, really getting you going? I think it's, I think it's the verse that, that uh, where Jesus says, the kingdom of God does not come in observation, but it comes inside the hearts of men. And I think, for me, that it keeps on challenging me today to be that for someone else. How do I, instead of looking for what I expect, to actually be receptive to what God's doing, you know, within people's hearts? And so, um, so that's what's been challenging me. Is you know, Jesus says all these big kingdoms are going to be crashing that you see with your eyes, right? All the buildings and all the things that look great. But what will remain is what's in your hearts. The kingdom that I have brought does not come with observation. And so I'm going, how do I see without just my eyes? And, uh, and, and, then, and then how do I make that transform just me instead of just being defined by what I build that I can see? Brilliant. And as a musician, uh, performer, I'm really keen to get your thoughts on this one. What's a worship song that you use to set the right atmosphere or that um, that's particularly impactful for you, even right now. But there's a song, man. I'm I'm actually mistaking. So obviously, I'm going to be I'm going to be biased to my own song. Uh, we've got a song called Maka Naka, uh, celebrate Africa. That it's hard to listen to and be sad. So if ever you want to be happy and like joyful, listen to Maka Naka Good. from Celebrate Africa. There's a plug. Um, but the, you know, there's a song about, um, the kingdom coming and I'm I totally like not remembering it, uh, but a, it's a hill song from, from Brooke, Brooke Linagood or something. It's um, right. People can, dig, people can dig around for that. That's all good. Yeah, I do. I, I'm, I'm actually watching it so much. It's, but it has something to do with, you know, the Godhead three in one, something like Praise the Father, praise the Son. That's it. If you type that in Google, surely it will come up. Surely. But what a hash. What a way to finish this. I feel like, I feel like the motorbike just broke down and we have like just one wheel on this, on this bike. Sorry. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good, mate. What about a book? Surely you've got the, a title in mind that you can recommend to empower listeners. A title of a book. Man, uh, so I read this book by John Mark Comer um, called the elimination of hurry, the ruthless el elimination of hurry. And it just talks about operating from overflow and God's rest. 
and basically like says we used to sleep 11 hours a day now we get six and then we're always like trying to push the envelope and continue just to do more and so the ruthless elimination of hurry by john mark Comer. yeah that's great that's awesome now to finish off tommy i'd wondered if you'd um pray a, a little impartation prayer um, for our listeners particularly around um, some of those big big topics that you've talked about around overcoming adversity and that creativity and crisis i'd love for you to do that if you could yeah no absolutely man um well hey so if you're listening just just expect god to shift your perspective this week and so lord we just thank you for every person listening uh on this podcast who has maybe caught just glimpses of it um and that this week would be a marked difference in the way that they see the kingdom uh, with the observation through the lens of heaven. That in the challenges, they would discover gems that are waiting for them uh, to really share your glory and to lift your name up through creativity, problem solving, innovation, and progress. Lord, that when they find someone that needs hope, that they walk into the room with hope, whether that's a virtual room or a real room, whether it's at their home or at work. <clears throat> and God, I also just thank you that that whoever's listening, that you would you would give them vision for not just what they're doing, but for the city that they're in, for the city that they're called to. Uh, God, we know that it's not the role of government to cast a vision for a city, but that you've given us, you've given us the ability and the anointing to cast a vision for a group of people, for a community. And so, Lord, we thank you that these testimonies would be explosive, that there would be dominoes that fall into place, that lines would fall in pleasant places for those listening here, that they would be full of joy, full of hope, full of peace. And uh, and we just we expect good things in this time where there's so much chaos because we trust your word that says, out of those bad things, out of the things that seem impossible, you can make things possible and you turn everything for the good of those that love you. So we are excited about that promise. So we speak that promise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So good, Tommy. I um, yeah, just love your story, love what you're doing, and really grateful um, that you've been able to sit down with me in the midst of all your kids and what's happening and, um, and talk it through. So I really appreciate your time. Man, dude, I really appreciate you, Mons, for doing this and just uh, stepping out, man. Um, always good. It feels like I've known you more than I have. So, uh, let's go out on an adventure together. That's it, mate. Love your work. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss an episode. And I'm keen to connect with you, hear how you're doing, and also send you some free resources. Make sure you sign up at supernaturalbusinesspodcast.com and you'll hear from me soon.